Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of workplace well-being and how it is vital to both employees and the organizations they work within. While many organizations want to improve their employee experience, many are not taking the proper steps to create a holistic environment of well-being. Doing so requires looking at many facets of the company, but yields better and more lasting results. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Lee Chambers, environmental psychologist, well-being consultant, and founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. Lee, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on with you today, Greg. Great. Well, yeah, looking forward to talking with you. Uh, let's start by talking about what you do at Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. Um, how would you describe what you do and, and what are the types of organizations you typically work with? Yeah, I think the best way to describe what we do, Greg, is we work with, generally speaking, SMEs. So the average employee count of the companies that we work with is between four and 500. And they're kind of at that stage where they're likely to be growing into a a more corporate entity and are kind of looking at the strategies of employee well-being they're suddenly looking at multi-site they're suddenly looking at you know significantly siloed departments um, and what the challenges are so what i actually do is we go in and get a baseline benchmark assessment of where they're currently at what well-being provision and programs that they're currently running and just how effective those are what are the engagement levels what difference are they actually making to KPIs and what feedback do the employees have? And then we take that and almost build a, build, build a foundational, uh, f- foundational point, that starting point, and really investigate and dig a bit deeper into what's the collective why for well-being within the organisation because that's what's going to ultimately fund a sustainable business case. And when we've got that clarity, we actually then build a strategy and delivery that's tailored towards the problems that your organization is facing in terms of well-being, what things have been highlighted, but also what are the industrial and departmental challenges that those employees face? Because if there's one big thing with well-being, it doesn't generally work very effectively when it's done in a blanket type way and it Mm. doesn't speak and connect with the people who you're looking to help change health behaviors, help transfer that authority of looking after themselves better and coming to work in a more energized and positive way. And then we just look at as well, some of the elements of management capability, the consciousness and congruence of leadership, and just look how we can create organizational cultures that actually help embed well-being, make it sustainable and make it grow organically internally. So when you start working with an organization, how often, you kind of describe the process of of working with them, but how often does an organization come to you with um, a defined need, let's say, and that that need is is accurate? So in other words, how often do you discover things throughout that 
that process where, you know, it wasn't even on their radar, for instance, that, that they had an issue in this other area over here. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I almost end up being the one who digs that bit deeper. So, so often they come with the acute issue that's facing them. And, you know, more often than not, it's high sickness levels, poor retention and high staff turnover. It's a seeming lack of innovation and creativity or just simply the KPIs are not where they need to be. And they identify that it might well be the well-being provision that needs to be looked at. And for a lot of companies, it actually takes a little bit of clarity to see that, to understand that ultimately the the well-being of your people amplifies performance in almost every aspect. It is a KPI in itself. And yet it's something that's quite often considered quite fluffy and not very tangible. And it does require, you know, data-centric ways of doing it to actually become more, you know, data-driven to help kind of analyze those outcomes. So quite often they come to me with a, a, a specific problem and then I help them to connect a few of the dots to see that actually more often than not the source of the problem is something different than what you've actually identified. When you work with an organization, what are some of the typical uh, measurements that you use to, to measure the success of, of your work and, and their, uh, their organization? Yeah, so quite oft, quite often we work with your typical KPIs, looking at looking at productivity, looking at output, looking at quality, and then kind of looking at absent absenteeism, looking at sickness cost, looking at uh, numbers and percentage of conflicts, mistakes, and the man hours to effectively repair those errors. Uh, but then we also build in what's called KHIs, so key happiness indicators. So we actually, you know, questionnaire and get feedback from employees on things that actually matter to them, how much do they feel that they have been communicated the vision of the business, how congruent do they feel that the values that, that the business states are lived within the company, do they feel they've had the space to grow, do they feel they've had the opportunity to participate in some of the structure and the moving forward of the organization and by measuring those can almost start to see if the culture internally is changing as well as the well-being provision because again i'm not going to be with a company for the rest of the company's existence i need to ensure that people are effectively becoming well-being champions within their organization and building small well-being communities that embed and the culture is there to help that grow so that my, obviously, intervention, my assessments are great. But then when I finished, I've left a framework that allows well-being to continue to thrive within the organization. Yeah. And so you mentioned um, that this this uh, health of the culture is, requires everybody's involvement, you know, siloed organization. You know, it's not going to work across the entire organization unless it's, it's interconnected. How do you... How do you recommend organizations make it part of everyone's job or part of everyone's, um, you know, measures of success that uh, well-being is, um, you know, it, well-being is spread throughout the organization? Yeah, so what, what's so important is that businesses already have like aligned and fixed processes. And so often practitioners try to bring well-being in like well-being doesn't already exist 
and the truth be told well-being does exist within certain business practices already so it's about amplifying that so when you're kind of looking at things like performance reviews that's actually a chance to look at well-being as well as performance because performance is driven by well-being advancement and there's also kind of when you look in and understanding that there are a conflict of interest across an organization some people want well-being to achieve a certain thing and you will get conflicts in viewpoints but across an organization it's you start to work to help communication that spreads so firstly you're looking for a collective why a reason that everyone can really align their own values to and their own objectives and outcomes and that does require you know negotiating and kind of engaging a number of stakeholders to really find out what they want from it because when you get down to that more personal level, you'll see what people are going to engage with, the reasoning behind it. And then you can almost link that into a wider company framework where people can get involved from across the company to shape what's being delivered. And that's really helpful because ultimately they are so often are the people on the front line of the organization they are able to give great feedback about what the you know what their daily life's like, the, some of the challenges that are in their role, and how that directly impacts their well-being, being in that organisational space. And again, they are they, that appreciation is really powerful because so often they don't actually get that in the position because ultimately the foundation of well-being for an employee is a bit of appreciation for the role that they carry out a bit of autonomy to grow into as a person and into role and just having that space and time to you know to bring the talents to be given a little bit of freedom to go and do something to be given a framework to work within and be able to excel and push on and really show their value and when they have that little bit of personal touch with well-being suddenly it can for a number of staff become quite a personal pursuit to really take well-being forward in that company to become someone who you know becomes a bit of a voice builds a little bit of a community gets involved and looks to engage others because the biggest thing with well-being is engagement tends to be from people who are already really engaged in health behaviors so they bring in the yoga class they bring in the fruit bowl they install a slide in the middle of the office Uh that gets utilized by the people who already do this. And so often with well-being, it's the people who are not engaged, more likely to be men, more likely to be struggling with their own health outcomes, who just feel this isn't for me. So why am I gonna go and eat fruit? I don't like fruit. I'm gonna go to the vending machine. I don't want to go to yoga. Like, you know, I don't I don't wanna put I don't wanna put the spandex on and be stretching at dinner time. Like, that's what Sue does in accounts. And it's, well, okay, so things need to become more inclusive. And if people feel like they belong, they're so much more likely to be like, yeah, I'll engage with this. Sounds like it's speaking to me, something that I can do. Maybe it even touches my interests. And with that, you start to get that authority of health behaviors moving from my boss needs to look after me to, I need to look after myself so I can bring my best self to work. Yeah. Wow. No, that's, that's great. Well, so one, one other thing, I mean, we're obviously living through a, 
a global pandemic. And, you know, I guess the question for you is, have you seen with with the, the companies you talk to, has this opened up brand new issues and challenges or has it, uh, you know, kind of exacerbated existing challenges with an organization or maybe maybe a mix of both? Like, what have you seen change or or what, what are the needs based on what's currently going on in the world? Yeah, so I think if we kind of start with how companies have become either more receptive or more defensive against what's going on, naturally well-being and the budgets involved are either being prioritised as people realise ultimately their employees are struggling quite possibly remotely or key worker working an awful lot and that these people, our employees, are going to be our recovery going forward through the economic challenges and mental health challenges that we're going to face across the whole world, to be honest. Um, And they are looking at ways to become more adaptive because wellbeing delivery is slightly different when it's digital, slightly different when employees are remote and not connected and collaborating in the same way. And they are being proactive but there's a lot of companies who are like, there is no employee well-being if the company doesn't exist. So they have very much got the shield up trying to find anything that affects the bottom line just to survive. And I ultimately tell them, you know, we're going to be coming into a world where well-being is going to become more absorbent. You're probably going to be more active in that respect, but I'm not going to chase you. There'll become a time when you feel you're ready for that. And, you know, I'll be here waiting to help you with your strategy when you are. Um, and some of the significant challenges that we're looking at is co- companies that have had a, companies that have a strong culture have found that as that has managed to mitigate some of the challenges of adapting and acclimatizing to working from home because it's communication is so different when all of a sudden you're not all in one space and the ability to you know communicate easily collaborate to have those moments in the breakout area or by the coffee machine or just walking around at dinner where you're disconnected from work but you're still with colleagues and able to engage and quite often come up with some creative or innovative ideas and share the common concerns that you have in your role and that connection those work relationships play a massive part in our overall well-being so by having them and trying to you know reignite them in a digital space it's quite challenging and it needs to be done with intention um again when it comes down to challenges management communication has been massive those who are willing to check in on their employees with the intention to be authentically ask you know are you okay is there anything we can do for you can you help it's making a big difference where the radio silence when you're working from home and not knowing what's happening with the company or what's happening with structure, with redundancy or furlough, those employees are sat there worrying. And that just manifests itself in, unfortunately, for a lot of people, struggling with their mental health, their interactions with clients and customers become strained, even with each other. Because all of a sudden, you can't see if your colleague's having a bad time if you're working remotely. You can't see, you know, they might be incredibly flustered or even, you know, close to tears. But all of a sudden, that Slack message, it looks like it's, quite offensive really they're just having a bad day but you can't see that when you're not together and I suppose if we look at it look at it towards the bigger picture working from home 
a lot of people don't have designated spaces. I mean, as an environmental psychologist, I see that only now is domestic design starting to consider that people might work from home remotely more often. And most domestic properties are not really designed and have to be partitioned. They have to be quite creative and innovative to make a space to work authentically and work you know, effectively well. And what this has shown is it's like a massive global case study for remote working. And a lot of people have been asking for it for a lot of years. But truth be told, there's a lot of people who really, really struggle with it. They need you know, possibly four days in the office. Everyone has a different environmental need. Some people work remotely really well, and some people are really, really struggling. So it's about looking, how can we look at the future and make sure that we are tailoring our you know, workspaces and flexible working towards getting the best out of the people that we've got. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. And yeah, I think uh, people like myself, I, I've been on and off working from home for years. And, you know, so I kind of I have I have a routine, but I think a lot of people have been thrown into um, into this. And to your point, it's been there's been a lot of people asking for this. But yeah, we're, we're part of this kind of global uh, un, unsolicited experiment, so, so to speak. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's 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 fascinating that you know the companies that were already prepared for it or were already doing a lot of remote work seem to be you know didn't didn't really miss a beat there too much, and then you know others really, um, you know others are, are are really struggling. But no, that's that's some great insights. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Um, you know, not every organization is in a place right now to to hire an environmental psychologist to help improve, but what are one or two things that you would recommend to an organization so they can start focusing um, and make some meaningful changes and improvements? Yeah, I mean, the, the probably the biggest one would be to make a simple survey for your employees asking, if there's a few things you could change, what would you change? Because so often what we get in an organization is someone will highlight something to management that irritates them on a daily basis. But it's just one employee and it's very easy to be like, oh, that's just their personal opinion. If you do that kind of little survey about what would you change? What would you like to participate in? How could we possibly change this work environment to make it you know, better? Are you happy with the temperature, the lighting, the noise? And just to get people's ideas of if there is anything that they would change and tell them and give them that assurance that this is an attempt to ultimately make a better working environment and give them that context. And what you'll find is you'll get the same trends and topics coming up over and over again. And so many spaces, the end user doesn't have much input in the process. It goes, it's the same for some business processes as well. They're created and then they're just given to someone to execute. And your employees are an amazing source of feedback. Um, and when I go in, Sometimes I, I do this, I do these assessments and I take the data and put it, I can put it visually, I can put it in reports for different people as they perceive data a different way. But one of the biggest things is because I've got some letters after my name and they're paying me, they take notice. Really, in some ways, what I've done is I've just garnered a lot of employee opinion taken a lot of different aspects from different departments, connected them together and presented it. 
And truth be told, most organizations, they can do that themselves. Yeah. It just takes someone to come in with a fresh set of eyes. But if you create a survey to get that data, that's a great starting point for looking at how you can impact employee well-being. And that doesn't require a massive budget. It just requires a little bit of time. And maybe you might find yourself reorganizing your office layout slightly, but utilizing what you already have. And so often, it's not looking for that massive, expensive solution. We can actually gather our employee data, information and feedback from them and shape a more proactive working space. And the truth be told, if you take action on that data and they, they will then feel like they belong there, they'll feel like they've participated in change, change that's personal to them. That anchors them into being, you know, more than just an employee, but actually becoming, you know, a little bit of a leader in the organization themselves because they've had that little bit of autonomy to make a difference. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Lee, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing? Yep, the best way would be to go to www.essentialize.co.uk. And from there, you can see my services, my blog, and my social channels, and get in contact if you're interested in employee well-being. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Lee Chambers, founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing, for joining the show. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.